you 15 seconds to ponder, and then you got to give us a under one minute explanation. I want you to tie together discipleship, Jesus, and some aspect of Star Wars in one statement. Anakin Skywalker turns into Darth Vader because I think in part because uh, Qui-Gon, who his, was going to be his master and was a father-like figure to him, passes away. Instead, he gets Obi-Wan, who is a brother-like figure. And and they, um, and they Anakin's formation is kind of off. I think you need both in discipleship. You need those who are uh, your, uh, those that you can look up to as fathers and mothers and those you can look to as brothers and sisters. The first date I took my bride on was the first Star Wars movie opened. Did they have music back then, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Disciple Dilemma. I'm Dennis Allen, along with Raymond Monroe. And today we want to talk about being a millennial and a disciple and a pastor. Now, it's tough to become a pastor. A lot of challenging work just to get through the studies, but it's even more challenging to actually be one. So with that, if you start looking at this life, you can understand why 45% of the pastors that we've hosted on this podcast have left their role as a pastor. They've gone on to something else. And if I was in the pastor's perspective, what's going on with all the people like you and like me out in the pews? Let's talk to an Anglican pastor and find out what's going on in his world. Thomas Ryden grew up in Sharpsburg, Georgia, southwest side of Atlanta. He received a call to ministry while he was at Samford University, where he also happened to meet his bride, Brittany. He served in youth and worship ministry roles, and he is now the assistant rector at Apostles Anglican, Knoxville, Tennessee. Thomas enjoys watching and reading and talking about all things involved with Star Wars. He plays guitar. He got his B.A. in Classics from Sanford University, his MDiv from Emmanuel Christian Seminary in 2015. Let's have a chat with Thomas and find out what's going on as a disciple in the Anglican world. Here we go. Thomas Ryden, who is in Knoxville, Tennessee, as the Assistant Rector at Apostles Anglican Church. Thank you for joining us on The Disciple Dilemma. It's great to be here. Thank you. You mentioned after your first year at Sanford, you really got in close with your youth pastor. Tell me how you viewed that as simply hanging out versus discipleship, as you understand discipleship. Did you feel like you were a disciple that, that year? Yeah, I, I think so. Definitely. Just, um, so he, he had been my youth pastor since 10th grade. So we kind of had a, 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 uh, that youth pastor relationship before that. And then it was kind of like when we changed to working together, um, you know, it would be like, we had, we had tasks to, to do, but he, he, he cared obviously about my formation as a person still, you know, it, it, it was really like a kind of come and follow me and do what I do sort of thing. Like we just would sit in his office and, and, and talk about, you know, the, uh, the students that we, that, that we had, how we were approaching, reaching them, how we were planning, you know, for the church camp that we were planning three weeks from now. And he just, he just kind of, let me uh, and the other interns that were working do his job with him. And it, it was almost like, it seemed like an apprenticeship. Um, uh, you know, it was called an internship, but it was, it was a, uh, you know, I got to get my hands dirty. It wasn't just like, 
hey, you go and do this task or you go and get um, lunch for everybody or whatever. Sometimes you needed to do that stuff. But um, it was a, hey, let's let's collaborate and work together. And there, I think there was a trust there that um, was afforded to me that uh, gave me a lot of confidence. Do you think about your friends at Sanford? Um, how many of them have gone none, done, exvangelical, convert? Uh, what, what's 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 your gut feel on that? There, def- there definitely have been um, some, and uh, you know, uh, gosh, it's it's hard to hard to put a a number on it. It's, it's interesting. Cause I've had, I've had friends actually go kind of both ways. I know, I know uh, I've I have relationships where at Sanford, there wasn't much interest in, in, in church. It wasn't. Uh, and then after, you know, uh, through some life experience really sought that out. And I've had, and I know of folk who were uh, really, really involved and then have gone on a more, uh, yeah, like an evangelical sort of, of route. Um, if I was thinking, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. It may, maybe about, maybe about half. Did you have anybody at Sanford that you would say really came in close and discipled with or for you while you were there? This is something I'm realizing as I am uh, getting older. I did not seek that out in the way that I should. I think I thought just with the way I, I thought mentorship was something that would come to me. And I am realizing more and more as I get older that when there's something that you're seeking, you should ask for it. <laughs> and so I, uh, this, is, uh, this is something I would want to tell myself at 18. I would say, seek out somebody that you want to mentor you. So I had a lot of great uh, professors um, and uh, my chair of the classics department in particular uh, was uh, wonderful, Dr. Stephen Todd. Um, and, but I, I just, I didn't take that next step of like, Hey, I want to, I want to do things like you do. I want to be the kind of uh, uh, adult that you are. Um, and, uh, and, and I just, I didn't take, I didn't take that step. I did have a lot of close, I was, I did have a lot of close peer relationships at Sanford. Well, I say a lot, I guess I had a, um, a fullness of close relationships because they were actually, uh, it was a smaller group, but it was a lot of, uh, close, uh, close friends. In fact, one of those close to your friends is, part of the reason we moved to Knoxville. One, my, one of my best friends from Stanford lives here. Um, we both, he was a religion major uh, going through Stanford and uh, they were the friends that drew us to apostles. And, uh, and uh, three days a week now, my son plays with his youngest son while they share childcare together. And, um, and so uh, that has, you know, uh, as I think about it, that was kind of like a, a, a mutual discipleship relationship that has continued now. Gosh, we met in 2007. So um, we are in year. Uh, oh goodness. You are. Oh yeah. We are, we are going strong year 15, 16, 17. If you looked at your friends who went through seminary, we talked for a couple of minutes, uh, a few minutes ago, you were bringing up the idea. It's hard to get out of seminary without being a little cynical. If you sort of gave us an anecdotal out of the 100% of folks that you 
had relationships with in seminary, how many of them are into the ministry as they come out of seminary and have them, however many of that group are still in the ministry? What's it look like? As I look at um, now among those who are in a traditional kind of brick and mortar church, um, maybe about half of those are, are, are still in. Some others kind of went into traditional kind of uh, uh, both small and big and big churches. I've seen some uh, friends uh, transition out of ministry into some kind of parachurch organization. So whether that's something back at Emmanuel or um, a, a, or an adjacent kind of a, a church adjacent institution. Um, so, and, and that's where, you know, as I think of who is, who is still in vocational ministry, um, a lot of the chaplains are sticking, uh, sticking with it. I think it's a, a super noble and, uh, obviously fulfilling and high calling. I, I, you know, I, I'm speaking biased here cause that's, uh, uh, what my dad does. And I look up to my dad a lot. One of the things that, that Dennis and I have really been focused on, when you look at discipleship, um, we have undervalued the peer-to-peer partnerships of disciples sharing life together and made it more of a pyramid mentoring scheme where I'm going to hurt the world in 20 years by getting to and having them get to and that kind of evangelistic discipleship rather than uh, a lifetime of friendship and sharing our journey in Christ together. Um, How is that so much missing in both the seminary framework and in the church today so that ministers really don't feel that they have those those lifelong friends that are are sharing ministry together? One of the things is uh, Emmanuel had uh, affordable on-campus housing that uh, had us living in community with one another. Um, and uh, it was the best place to live because it was uh, for the price. Like it was, it was, it was very affordable, particularly for our first apartment when, you know, between the two of us, two grad students, we were working about a half, half time job, you know, between the two of us. Um and, and something as simple as that, um, you know, cause that takes a significant investment, but it was just huge in being, you know, I can go down the hall, down, down my street and just see, you know, uh, a, an, an international student with uh, their entire family, you know, living there or friends from other classes. And, you know, I could just walk up to the library on campus. And so uh, that, that was huge. Um, I think as to why uh, it, it doesn't happen, I just think I just think there's so much to do. You know, this is something uh, we're we're doing. Uh, our our uh, so the Anglican Church in North America is divided up into dioceses, um, and our diocese is divided up into deaneries. Um, and our deanery is the deanery of Knoxville, and uh, we're having just clergy breakfasts monthly that our area dean is organizing. And I think, I think it's just more stuff like that. But the fact is when things like that are happening on a Tuesday morning and you have bulletins to print and you have this hospital visit that you need to make and you're already behind on prep for your sermon and oh my goodness, Lent is coming. 
And it, I think sometimes there's something about ministry work that you are wearing so many hats at a time and COVID escalated this, right? Because not, so we're already uh, supposed to be teachers and, uh, and, and counselors and all these things. And now we're supposed to be, you know, uh, health scientists and technology experts as well, you know, and, uh, and there's just, I think there's so much to do. And uh, there is sometimes with all the best intentions, I mean, I'm speaking about myself personally, I would, I am more likely to on a busy week to blow off time with those peer-to-peer relationships because, Oh, I just, I, if I do that, I won't get X, Y, and Z done. And um, I think it's just, it might be just the tyranny of that immediate thing. You know, I have to get this. So wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that if you had those kinds of peer relationships with some of the senior people in the church, Mm -hmm. some of that burden could be shared so that you had collaboration rather than the minister has to do all the heavy. Sure. Sure. I, I think, yeah, I think that would. And we, Frank, we, we have the blessing of a lot of, um, uh, we have some great volunteer clergy here too. So we're, we, particularly for a congregation of our size, we have quite a few clergy and there's a, there's a good, um, there's a good balance of that here. That was, you know, um, that was one thing that really drew me just yeah. to working where I am is just the, the culture here is, is, um, uh, is very against that tyranny of the immediate. Like there are things that Im- there are important, um, but we're not going to necessarily live at the world's pace. As we look at life at Apostles Anglican right now, how do you see people interacting as wingmen, mentors, or followers of others in discipleship? That's great. Um, I would love. I would love to grow. I would love for, for us to grow in this area. It's also because um, you know, I mean, in particular, as we see like young people, some of the um, I can't quote the quote the study, but like one of the number one factors in holding on to faith into adulthood is Christian adults, you know, that are not your parents. Um, and, um, and we're, we're trying to foster those sorts of relationships. Um, uh, we have, we have something we do called table groups. Um, that is a ministry that I, I, I help out with, um, where, uh, we just, uh, it's, it's not a small group because those tend to be like self-selected. We took out a map of Knoxville and drew circles around uh, people who live near one another. So it's kind of like our, it's kind of like a neighborhood outpost kind of ministry, but we also hoped yep. that it would be intentionally intergenerational. Actually, what I, I just a comment on, on the table thing first. That's fascinating, Thomas. That, to me, um, you're letting God in his providence. And one of the things I'm learning as a 69-year-old is that I've inadequately appreciated God's providential care. And so we draw a circle around a community and whoever happens to live there is in that table group. You're just relying on God's providence to bring the right group of people together. It's fascinating how that really works. I did want to ask a, a more serious question, though. Having moved from a traditional Presbyterian setting 
where the congregation was defined more or less as people who held to the same understanding of the faith to a more traditional church being Lutheran, where you have a more parish kind of mentality. It's not a system anymore, but a mentality. The church becomes more of a community center than a community itself. And you have the, the sacramental system where people go through con, uh, uh, confirmation. And once they've gone through confirmation, one of the implications is now I know everything I need to know to be a Christian. All I need to do is show up for the services and participate in the liturgy. And so the criticism of it being too rote or liturgical can be a legitimate concern especially when it comes to people continuing to grow in their faith. How are you trying to grapple with the challenge of discipleship in terms of people actively engaged in their Christianity and their everyday life in that sort of traditional Anglican environment? I think people are hungry for practice and commitment and uh, uh, adherence to a form. This is, I think this is one of the reasons why, uh, some people are drawn particularly out of uh, maybe more, more free church um, traditions to the forms is uh, I, I want to enter into a way of life. I, I know. And, and so when we can say something like uh, we're praying some of the same prayers every day and we're reading some of the same scriptures, if we're doing, you know, the daily office or a piece of the daily office, I think there is an aspect of that that is rote um, uh, in that it's standardized, but it's also a common discipline that, that we can then bring into our relationships. One of the things that we've grappled with and talked to people about is the gospel today is really about the meaning and purpose of life, the authenticity of what it means, not just my get out of hell free card, but what, what is it that I really am? It seems to me that you're saying that the sacraments are really the core of the reality of the faith rather than just a liturgical exercise. I agree with that. It's just uh, there is a, a, a fullness um, and uh, just a, a full understanding. Um, you know, I've talked with uh, folk uh, in, in different traditions that don't have as rich of a sacramentology that will speak about, you know, there's almost an ache for that. You know, we, you know, we, we have communion, but it just kind of seems like a formality. And then we go on to the church announcements or whatever. And then, and then uh, the pastor gets up uh, to preach. And, and I just, I, I, I felt some of that. I've felt some of that too. in some of the experiences I've had and, and just a robust theology of, the, of, of sacrament just seems to really, really change that, that game. Yeah. Let me be a little bit provocative so you can hold your hands up if you don't want anybody to see this. But on the other hand, um, one of the things I've been fascinated with is if I believe that Christianity is the reality that I live in, not a faith I've chosen as my spiritual life, but it's really the reality I live in, that Jesus is really the Christ, then when I have children, I want to teach them from day one that they belong to Jesus and that they're obligated to him. And the only choice they have is not to convert to Christianity, but to abandon the faith. And because of that, I'm a big enthusiast now, more than I ever have been about infant baptism. But I'm telling my children from day one, and of course in a Lutheran setting, 
if you ask me if I'm saved, I'm going to tell you I'm baptized, not because I think that replaces faith, but because my trust is in promise I got from Jesus when he gave me his name, not some decision that I made. So you and your bride are relatively young married couple. I don't know if you have any kids yet. But you've got to you've got to deal with the question of whether or not you're going to do the baptism. So my son Charlie is about to turn two in March, and we baptized him last November on All Saints Sunday. Um, so the yeah, and um, yeah, so that 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 kind of sacramental view of baptism, I think, um, just that emphasis on um, uh, uh, Scott McKnight, who's an Anglican theologian, wrote "It Takes a Church to Baptize." That was that was helpful for me because I, I came from a believers and immersion only uh, tradition, um, and uh, that's you know that's how I was uh, was baptized. And uh, uh, but uh, just seeing baptism as as the gift that it is, and now I think. You know, as I think about, you know, my sons, it's we're going to teach him, you know, you uh, we have made we've also made vows um, in your name uh, to 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 raise you in the faith. And when the time comes, uh, so this I'm going to I'm a little bit both and you here, because uh, on in our Easter vigil service, we renew our baptismal vows. You know, I I renew my um we, we are called to renew our clergy vows uh, yearly at our synod. Um, uh, we are, we as a people are all called to renew our, our baptismal vows at the Easter vigil. And so um, I, uh, we are, uh, you know, Jesus says, go and be baptized. He also says, come and follow me. And so I, I want my life. I want my son's life to be a continual yes to Jesus. Um, and, and, and baptism being uh, that that great marker of of that gift. So, if folks want to creep your world and find out more about what you're up to, where's the website uh, that we can have people reach out to you on? How do they connect with you? You can uh, see what we're doing at Apostles at ApostlesOnline.org. Um, uh, you can check us out there. And but uh, Twitter is probably the most active space I am in terms of like social media. Thomas Ryden, Associate Rector at Apostles Anglican Church, Knoxville, Tennessee. Thank you for being with us on The Disciple Dilemma. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Would you help the church think more about discipleship? Would you help us get the conversation started to talk about the biblical discipleship Jesus gave us? Please follow us. Our website, www.thediscipledilemma.com. You can find us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and all the RSS feeds. If you'd follow or like us, you'll help us get leverage in the digital marketplace to talk about the fact that discipleship needs to be talked about. And as always, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.